Thank you, worship team. Wasn't that a great blessing just to sit and listen to that? Thank you. Part of our singing that song is because we're going to focus our attention this morning on Psalm 23. The great Charles Spurgeon called the psalm the Pearl of Psalms. Isn't that a great little picture? Lots of great psalms, but one one pearl, Psalm 23. Another pastor made this comment, This is the psalm which has dried many tears and supplied the mold into which many hearts have poured their faith. That's such a great line. It's a, it's a mold that you pour your tears into and you pour your faith into. And so this summer, I'm going to challenge you to memorize Psalm 23. So we're going to say it as the affirmation. There's a little bookmark. If you didn't get it, on the left as you leave, put it in your Bible. And whether you're uh, just going to do this with a friend or you're going to do it as a community group, uh, dads, you want to challenge your whole family to do this in the morning or at night sometime. Uh, you want to listen to this Shane and Shane song and help you memorize it. Uh, Carly will send a link to that song in the newsletter. Whatever you can do, because these words engraved on your heart, many of you know at least some of the phrases. You'll use them. You'll use them when you have tears, when you need comfort. You're, you're, you will pour your soul into this psalm, and it will help you in your faith. One reason David's psalm is so well known is because of the metaphor he uses, is the shepherd and the sheep. Most of us know this is one of the most popular illustrations or metaphors in the Bible describing the Lord's relationship to us. He is my shepherd. He is our shepherd and we are what? We are the sheep. Mm. In case you don't know, sheep aren't that bright. And so it's a perfect metaphor. And uh, I wanted to show you a little video of a sheep that's not too bright and Unfortunately, it might have application to you and me at some point. Poor sheep gets stuck. Oh, help him out, shepherd. Help him out. Oh, I'm free. I'm finally free. Oh. I mean, come come on. You can't make this up, could you? And they're going to give you a little slow-mo here. He looks like he's going to make it. Oh, no. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you said, Lord, if you pull me out of this ditch, I'll never go back. Only to jump right back in. Right back in. And thankfully, we have a shepherd who he never gets tired. I mean, I'm sure these two little shepherd boys, they're frustrated at this sheep. But we have a Lord who's never frustrated. It's like his job description. He loves when he gets to pull sheep out of a ditch, even if it's ones we continue to fall into or jump into ourselves. So I want to read this psalm. We'll take a moment just to reflect on it, and then I'll make some observations. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. My goal this morning is just to review the psalm and to make some observations. Just things as I've read through it this week and thought of different points that I want to make um, you aware of, things that you'll be aware of. But I look forward to hearing your own observations. I'm not going to make every one. And certainly as you memorize it and you just turn your radio off in your car and try to memorize the psalm, different phrases, different pieces will be put together in your mind, and I look forward to hearing about your observations. The other thing is, in this sermon, I don't intend to tell you a single thing to do. Cheers, right? Right? Oh, praise the Lord, Paul. I needed one of these sermons. I don't intend to tell you a single thing to do because the psalm doesn't tell you anything to do. So I don't want to mess that up. The psalm is a psalm of encouragement. Think of the psalm as a gift, like a a cold compress on a fevered forehead or a a heating pad on a a sore muscle. That's that's what's the intention of the psalm writer. It's to bring comfort, and that's my hope for this sermon as well. So I just want to make several observations. Number one, the psalm is personal. The psalm is personal. It's, it's very personal. You might even say it's an intimate psalm of David. Notice the Lord, all capitalized Yahweh. This is God's personal name. The Lord, he, he and I are on a first name basis, is my shepherd. He's not a shepherd. He's not the shepherd, but he, he is my shepherd. This is a personal psalm. There is no we or us or they in the psalm. Did you notice that? It's only my, me, I, he, you. It's all very personal pronouns. This is a song, a psalm written by somebody who knew God personally. David Brenner, in a book that I've been recommending called The Gift of Being Yourself, he writes this, It's quite possible to be stuffed with knowledge about God that does nothing to help us genuinely know God. You hear that? It's quite possible to be stuffed with knowledge about God, 
but not actually know God. He goes on to say, having information about God is no more transformational than having information about love. Theories and ideas about God can sit in sturdy storage canisters. For example, you can believe God is forgiving, but that is quite a bit different than having personally experienced his forgiveness. So David knows God. He doesn't just know about God. He knows God. This is a, somebody who's singing about a personal relationship. And I think when you read through this song, it's possible that a few people could think, this is a great song. I mean, this is well known. There's certain phrases that I like. And I'm sure it helps many people in this room. But, but as I look around, these, most of these people look like they have their lives put together. And I'm sure it helps them, but they, they don't know me. They, they don't know how dysfunctional my life is. I mean, it, it's sweet, nice, and all that stuff. And I'm sure if you get into sort of that zone, it's really going to be helpful to you. But I'm not there. They don't know my family dysfunction. They don't know my massive failure that I try to keep hidden from everybody. They don't know how many times I've jumped into the ditch, made a promise, I'll never go back into the ditch, only to go back in the ditch. They don't know that. If you're feeling anything like that this morning, I have good news for you. Why? Who wrote the song? It says it right at the very top, just probably in your Bibles like mine, bold, like just to make sure you don't think this came from somebody else. This is a psalm of, what does it say? David. One of the most dysfunctional men in the Bible. He is writing this song. It's unlikely that anyone in this room is ever going to outsend David. David, he used his God-given position to abuse a woman. Then he orchestrated a murder and a cover-up. Then his apathy or anger, these two poles that he tended to live in, led to a massively dysfunctional family. And this is the man who wrote the opening line, the Lord is my shepherd. This massively dysfunctional person understood the Lord was coming for people like him. Do you remember in the New Testament when Jesus is eating with the tax collectors and sinners? And the, the religious, sort of the righteous people come along and say, why is he doing that? And what does Jesus say? These, these are the people I've come for. These are right on the bullseye. This is, this is exactly the kind of person. I'm looking for sick people. I'm not looking for well people. And David understood he had a sickness in his heart that he couldn't fix. And he ran into a Savior who couldn't wait to help him out of the ditch. The Lord is my shepherd. David doesn't just believe that God is forgiving. He's experienced the forgiveness. It's personal to David. Second observation, this phrase, I shall not want. I shall not want. Probably in our minds, some of us might sort of take that to mean I guess I'm not going to have any more desires which is not what it means a better translation would be I I shall not lack any good thing the Lord knows I need I'm not going to lack any good thing the Lord knows that I need he's the good shepherd 
And, and the psalm is talking about some surface level needs, but really it's getting to something much deeper, something in your soul. Remember John 4, Jesus at the woman of the well? And they're talking about it, sort of this surface need. You remember this? You give me a drink. I've, I've, I'm asking you for a drink, this whole exchange. And then Jesus says to this woman, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst again forever. So Jesus is is saying there's something else underneath you that just this surface level isn't going to answer. And I'm that answer. And the woman meets Jesus and her needs are satisfied, the needs of her soul. And David then goes on to sort of state four different ways Jesus addresses the needs of your soul. You can see him there. He, I shall not want. These are the four things. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So that could be a good four-point sermon, which I don't have time for here. But he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to address some deep needs in your soul, and they're going to kind of play out in these four columns or these four ways. Let me just pick out two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, there's a um, little series by Ray Vanderlyn. It's under a title called That the World May Know. And if you're a small group leader, it's a great small group discussion. And he just talks about um, being in a desert and walking with the God. And in that, he talks particularly about reorienting our thoughts about Psalm 23 and the shepherd. And this particular passage, the shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. As Westerners, Ray Vanderlyn says, this is the picture that we have in our mind of a sheep in green pastures. Like, that's what I think about. I read this psalm and I think this is kind of what I'm thinking about. And it's, it sends a message to our brain that God's going to place me in a field or he's going to place me in a situation where all of my needs are met for the rest of my life. I, I can't, everywhere I see, every need is met. I, I never have to move an inch the rest of my life. It's sort of like I've won the lottery. He's going to make me lie down and I don't even have to move anymore. I just reach out and grab and get he said, that, that's, that's not the image David is speaking of. David is a shepherd for sheep in the wilderness. And if you go to Israel, this is much more like the green pasture he was talking about. And you say, where's the pasture? I mean, it looks like they're just eating rocks. And what Ray describes is the shepherd would take his sheep and he would know uh, which, which hillside was exposed to the dew overnight. Winds coming off of water that would collect mostly by rocks or in crevices and would sort of seep down. And he would take the sheep and graze them alongside of this hillside. And what would happen is along these little moist areas, little green tufts of grass would grow up. And they would just sort of go along and they would eat uh, everything they needed right at that moment. And then they would go and they would go and every few minutes he would just move them along the hillside. And for David, this is the image of the green pasture. 
It means you're going to have enough nourishment right now. So relax. Lay down. You don't have to worry about tomorrow because the shepherd's here. You can trust. Do, do you have enough for right now? Yeah. Well, then lie down. But here's my guess. Let, let me just say, here's how I think. Instead of guessing for you, let me just open up my mind to, to yours. I, I rather like the first picture. I like a big moat around any problems, don't you? I like a big pile of cash or a big pile of something that's going to get no barriers. I, I mean, as far as I can see, I'm set for the rest of my life. That's kind of the mentality that I've grown up with. But that's not the mentality of this psalm. This is not the mentality that God is trying to help us with. He's trying to say, do you have enough for whatever your life circumstances right now? Yes, but I'm awfully worried about tomorrow. I'm, I'm not talking about tomorrow. I'm just talking about, do you have enough for right now? I do. Then lie down. Because you trust a shepherd. See, if you trust yourself, you've got to keep working, keep working, keep working, keep getting the biggest pad you can, because who knows what's going to happen. And the Lord is saying, do you just have enough right now. That's all I'm promising right now. One rabbi says this, worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. Ever done that? I mean, yeah, Paul, I got enough for right now, but you don't know the thing that's going to happen to me next week. Yeah, I don't. I don't know the thing that's going to happen to me next week. But he's just saying, do you have enough right now? Then you can lie down. You can trust the shepherd. Second thing, just in this list of four, he restores my soul. What a hopeful, calming phrase. Think about all the times you thought you were smart and you jumped into a ditch. What does the proverb say? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Think about that sheep. If you could get into his tiny little mind. He's, I'm finally free. Look at me jump. I'm going right back down in the ditch. I mean, have you been there? He's finally set me free and now I can just live without him and we just get ourselves right back into those ditches. He restores our soul. And the picture for David and the, the shepherd that he has in mind is called, it's called a cast sheep. To restore a soul, the picture David has in mind is turning over a cast sheep. A cast sheep is a sheep that's gotten heavy with wool and it does lay down, then it you know, feels a little itch, so it starts to roll over, and maybe there's a little depression in the ground, so it rolls over and goes, all right, uh, I'm stuck. And then it starts to panic because it can't get itself back over. And the way the, the anatomy of a sheep works is as it panics, it kicks its legs. And as it kicks its legs, it loses its circulation. 
So now it's frozen. Anybody had a panicky moment and then invited his friend stupid to come along right after that? You ever done that? I'm in a panic and guess what's going to happen? I'm going to do something stupid. Right? I'm, I'm in this panic. I can't help it. I'm frozen. Now I'm done. I'm like I'm done. Unless the shepherd comes and tips me back over, rubs my legs, gets the circulation going, stays with the sheep and says, okay, now let's move forward. He, that's how he restores. You and I, how many, how many of us right now are stuck? I have a friend who comes to Iron Leadership. He texted me this week. Hey, can we meet this week? I'm stuck. Jesus loves to restore people who are stuck. He's a pro at it. He never gets tired of it. He can't wait for you to say, help, and he just tips you back over, rubs your feet and says, let's get back in the game. And how many beautiful, really beautiful moments do you see this happening in the New Testament? The woman at the well, why is she at the well at noon? She's stuck. She's stuck in her shame. The bleeding woman, why does she come up hoping nobody's going to notice that, Jesus, that he, she touched Jesus? She's stuck. Peter, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He denies Jesus. He's stuck. He's frozen in a frame of shame. And Jesus, in this beautiful moment, has breakfast and says, Peter, let's tip you back over. I know you love me. I got to get you back in the game. That's what Jesus loves to do. He's not frustrated at Peter. He can't wait to tip Peter back over, get back in the game to restore his soul. If you feel stuck and you need help, then you should call me or call somebody on the staff. But there's a book that's been particularly helpful. And we'll have it again in the newsletter. It's called Soul Custody. Soul Custody by Stephen Smith. Well, that's the first half of the psalm. Now we move to the second half of the psalm. And when you do, I'm asking this question. When do we get to experience this quiet, peaceful, soul-restoring rest? I mean, I like all this. He leads me beside quiet waters and still waters and restores my soul and helps me lay down. And Well, when is that going to come? I'm looking for that. What's the answer to that? Verse 4. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake after I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Is that what it says? Oh, aren't you so glad it doesn't say that? I mean, as soon as you're done with that valley, I'll be there. No, the rest for your soul comes even though you're in that valley. That's the great news about this song. Even when life circumstances cast this dark shadow, we have a shepherd who is with us. And he uniquely has lived through death's dark shadow. And he can hold your hand all the way through. In fact, and I didn't notice this until study this week, David signals that when you're in these dark moments, the intimacy with the Lord can grow. 
Notice the change in David's vocabulary. When David begins to talk about the valley, he changes from he to you. Did you notice that? Why didn't David just continue? Even though I walk through the valley of the death, shadow of death, he is with me. I mean, that's okay. But do you see what he's saying? You. Jesus is moving closer to the people who are in those dark places. You are with me. It's not he. It's not, it's not this third person. It's somebody that's moved into my soul. He is, he is you. They're with me. I was with an older woman this week who is approaching death's doorway, which is why I was with her. And uh, she's mostly relegated to just being in a bed. So we talked about her funeral and things that she was thinking about. And then I prayed for her using the vocabulary of Psalm 23. And I said, well, how do you feel about being in this valley? She says, well, I'm a little nervous. And I'm holding her hand and I said, I want you to know that I can hold your hand. Her family's around. We can hold your hand now. But you'll get to a valley that we can't hold your hand anymore. But there'll be a nail-scarred hand who will be holding onto your hand. And he's going to take you through that door. He's the great shepherd. That brings peace to a soul. Then when even all hands have to let go, there is a hand who's gone through death's door itself and can bring you out on the other side so we don't have to be afraid. So many other observations I could make. Let me just make one more. Surely, as we sung, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now, when you think about follow me, or maybe I should say when I think about follow me, it sort of feels like two boxcars following after a train engine. Like they're attached, they're just following along. That's not the picture here. That's not what the word means in Hebrew. The word means pursue, run after, or hunt down. Doesn't that feel different? Surely goodness and mercy will hunt me down. That, I like that. I, I like that version. If you want to memorize it that way, go for it. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. I mean, it sounds nice, but I want it to hunt me down. It's, it's chasing after me. If the Lord is your shepherd, then goodness and mercy, they're hunting you down. They are hunting you down. And someone who's a little skeptical might say, well, Paul, goodness and mercy might, must be slow runners. They haven't caught up to me yet. I'd, I'd be happy if they did. Where are they? Where's goodness and mercy? Where, where do we see God's greatest pursuit of us in goodness and mercy? On the cross. One of the few passages from the Bible more well known than Psalm 23 is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He chased you down. He didn't send down instructions. He came down. 
He's hunting us down. He's entered the world, but he hasn't entered the world just as the good shepherd. Remember when John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time and his disciples are around and he sees Jesus and what does he say? Behold, the good shepherd. What does he say? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the good shepherd came as a sheep. As one of us. He took our place. He is the Passover lamb. So that whosoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a pastor whose wife died when their children were young, and he's raising these two daughters on his own, driving to his wife and their mother's funeral. And while they're driving to the funeral, he's trying to figure out as a pastor, how do I explain what has happened to their mother? How do I put it in perspective? And on the way to the funeral, they stopped at a traffic light. It was a very bright day. The sun is streaming into the car, and a big truck pulled up next to them. And a shadow came from the truck and darkened the inside of the car. And Barnhouse says, I turned to my daughters and asked, would you rather be hit by the shadow or by the truck? One daughter, oh, Daddy, that's a silly question. The shadow can't hurt you. I'd rather be hit by the shadow than the truck. Then Barnhouse looked at his daughters and said, the truck of death hit Jesus. So Mommy only had to go through the shadow. The Lord is your shepherd. Goodness and mercy are hunting you down. And even in the darkest moment, you only have to experience the shadow because the Savior has experienced the death. So I want you to leave encouraged today. If, if you feel like you're beyond rescue, this is a psalm for you. If you feel like you're stuck, he's here to tip you over. If you feel like I can't lie down, I want you to know he has supplied all you need right now. And goodness and mercy, in part and then in full, are hunting you down. They are chasing after you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this great song written 3,000 years ago by a shepherd on a hillside. That it offers truth, hope, perspective, reorientation, encouragement. Would you pour out your goodness and mercy to these people this morning? that they would feel like they've been chased down by this song, that, that this is a song they can use as a mold to pour in their tears and their faith and trust in you, especially for those who are in shadow moments of their life, a difficult diagnosis. themselves or a parent or a loved one facing death's door would they know they have enough because you are with them 
And may they know that. May they experience that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.